0: you would take your bibles and turn to acts chapter 13 take a little break from our study in philippians hope you enjoyed my good friend last week chris bayak and uh his great exposition of the scripture i was excited to talk to him about before that and afterward and he's such a blessing to me a great friend and a great teacher of the word of god passionate about the word passionate about people and uh always glad to have uh chris i just gonna make i know he talked about he always comes when i'm not here i need to invite him one time and me be here and because uh, I love to hear him teach and preach, he's a great friend, has helped me a ton as well. But turn to Acts 13, and this is an interesting uh, passage for Resurrection Sunday, but I'll see you, tell you in a few minutes while we're here. Uh, the, the title of the message this morning is the Significance of the Resurrection. Now, this morning I need to do something a little different. Normally at this time we just miss our children up through the fourth grade for children's worship, but on Resurrection Sunday we like to keep them in here and be part of our worship with us. So um just if if they get a little restless just that's okay we did too we were that age right and uh we're just thankful that that they're here with us but i'm going to need some help with my sermon this morning so i need all those kids that normally leave for children's worship to come right down here and sit on the floor because i I need some help this morning guys come on Landonator, where you at come on i told landon he's going to help me with my sermon where's he at he must be in the back oh there oh there you go lander come on y'all sit right down right here in front of me so i can see you look right at me right here sit right down there sit right there crisscross applesauce Are oh, you gotta look at me kylie no 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 got get back and turn around there you go okay we got come on over here come on this side come over here come over here guys come all the way over here crisscross applesauce you guys got it all right, I can't get crisscross applesauce anymore. <laughs> My knees don't work that way. Hey, I've got a bag here. Anybody know what it says on the front of that? Kroger. Well, yeah, and there's, noth- there's nothing here from Kroger. The- there is something from Kroger that everybody needs to know about. I'm going to go ahead and tell you this. I-, I saw this Kroger on here, and I thought, this is great. This is an advertisement for Kroger. They have the best ice cream in the world, and you're thinking, hold on now. We live in Texas. They can't have better ice cream than Blue Bell, right? But listen, listen. They have a flavor called Death by Chocolate, and it only comes in Kroger bland- brand. So I encourage you to go get it. A- a few gallons of that after service this morning and believe me it'll be the best thing you've had but there's a bag and in this bag there's something that's going to help help you and help me be able to help everybody here understand what God wants us to do this morning and what he wants us to learn so I'm going to give you some clues now you got to you got to raise your hand if you're going to answer my questions if you just blurt it out my ears don't work that way so you have to you don't even know the question yet no okay but no okay here we go there's something in here Okay, and I want you all to help me, but you can't blurt it out, okay? Let's see, it's made out of plastic. I got a guess? It's a made out of. I, I can't hear. Okay, you got a guess? Plastic. A bag? A bag? Nope. No, it's not a plastic bag. Land. A, a water bottle? No, good guess. An Easter, An Easter egg? No. A toy? No. Let me, okay. Hold on, hold on okay okay and, and, and it's plastic and it's red paint. paint plastic paint all right here we go what else plastic and it's red I know. hold on wait yes um, the cloth it's huh the cloth it's it's a, no that's okay okay it's it's also got some metal in it plastic metal and it's red I know. yes a magnet? a magnet no good guess Fire truck no but that'd be a cool wouldn't it all right what do you think a glass, a glass. you know it, it, but th- this doesn't have glass on it but nor a lot they're actually used to in what this is It used to have glass in it now it's plastic and you can actually see through that plastic part no it also has a switch on it to turn it off and on what do you think a light switch. That, that's close. Close. It's not quite a light switch because it's red. A lamp. Shh, shh. Yes. A lamp. A lamp. It's Oh, damn. That, you're just right there. You're right there. What do you think? A label. No. A what, light. what 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 is a it? No. Um, <gasps> what? A flashlight oh, you got it. Yeah, a flashlight. Okay? there's a flashlight right here, okay? And it's the one you gave your daddy, huh? Okay. So there's a flashlight here. It's yours, okay? It's yours. And there's a flashlight right here, okay? There's a flashlight right here, okay? All right, so a flashlight is something you use when it gets light outside, right? Huh? And when it gets dark, okay. I need somebody to help me, show me how this works. How does it work, Jason? How does that work? Well, turn it on. i well, you got to push it the other way. No, push it up this way. Here, push it up this way. Oh, uh-oh. Somebody else tried it out. You want to try it, Landon? What's wrong with that thing? not working, is it? I know how to do that. You, want, you, you turn it on for me, sweetheart. It's your flashlight anyway. You told me that. Turn it on. What's the batteries deal? The, the batteries are in the wrong way? <laughs> She's going to open it up. Uh, what's going on? You didn't have the batteries. There's no batteries in here. What, you, do you have to have batteries for this thing to work? Yeah. Oh, sit down, Caddy. Sit down. All right, well, let's see. I've got some batteries right here. All right, here we go. Make sure they go in the right way. You see me backing up? Oh, I'm starting. Anybody knows a good deal on cheaters? Let me know. Okay, here we go. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. It's like the lightsaber, huh? It works. Now, those batteries are important, aren't they? Because without the batteries it's worthless it's not worth anything if you want a flashlight no batteries when we have a hurricane it doesn't help at all does it and these let me tell you a word these batteries are significant for the flashlight to work now hold on listen listen and you know what without the resurrection without the resurrection then we have no hope we have no life we can't love jesus without the resurrection We can't know God without the resurrection. We can't go to heaven without the resurrection. Would you all say the resurrection is significant? Just like the batteries are in this flashlight, it's significant. It's very important. In fact, it's essential. And we must remember that. That what? The resurrection, you all say this word with me, is significant. Say that. Significant. And that means more than important. It's essential, right? Right. So let me pray, and I'm going to dismiss you go back to your parents, okay? Lord, thank you so much for the resurrection. And Lord, without the resurrection, Lord, we are meeting in vain. Lord, these children have no hope. It's no fun. They can't love Jesus, and Jesus can't love them. And God, you can't even love them without the resurrection. And Lord, you, without the resurrection, we live a life that means nothing. But Lord, we thank you. That your word says that Jesus did raise from the dead. And we have life and we have hope. We have meaning in our life. We have joy. We can love Jesus. We can love you and be loved by you because of the resurrection of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you guys can go back to your seat. Thank you. What good manners. All right, well, hey, they helped us, didn't they? They helped us learn something. Just as the batteries in that flashlight are significant, not just as, but in a greater way, the resurrection to our relationship with God is significant. And without the resurrection, we have no way to know God. We have no way to love God. We have no way to serve God. And in in a sense, we'll see, we have no way for God to know us and forgive us and give us hope and give us a future without the resurrection. It's the most significant event in the history of the world. And you're saying, well, hey, how about creation? Yeah, that's pretty significant. How about the parting in the Red Sea? Oh, that's significant too. Well, how about Jesus' life? That's significant. How about Jesus' death on the cross that we celebrated on Good Friday? Significant. But without the resurrection, all of that means nothing. Because if he didn't raise from the dead, Paul says in First Corinthians chapter 15, it's all in vain. The cross was nothing except the, a, a crazy guy who thought he was God being killed on a cross with a bunch of other criminals. That's all it is. But with the resurrection, it's everything. Everything. All that means something now because of the resurrection. That's why resurrection, I like to call it resurrection Sunday morning. What's Easter? I mean, what is that? That has nothing to do with the, the word. You know, okay, resurrection Easter. E-A, resurrection R-E. I don't I mean in any language it doesn't go together. Right? Resurrection Sunday. I know you've all have been coming for a while. You're used to me saying, Happy Resurrection Sunday. And I always throw people off. They're like, Happy oh, Resurrection Sunday. All right? And Happy Resurrection Sunday because this resurrection is significant. Well, I'm excited this morning, as you can see. This is a great day. And our passage of Scripture this morning takes place on Paul's first missionary journey. And, and, and it's a sermon he preached in the synagogue of, of get this, this, the place is Pisidian Antioch. So he walks into this town, and he goes to the synagogue, which he often did. He couldn't do that in Philippi because there wasn't a synagogue. Remember, studying the book of Philippians right now, he, couldn't, he went outside and he found some ladies gathered together around some water, and, and they were meeting and talking about the Lord. So that's where he went. But there's a synagogue in Pisidian Antioch. Well, if he's going to come here to this city for his first time, and he's going to preach, what's he going to preach about? I mean, there's a lot of things he could preach about, right? He could preach about creation. He could preach about something from the prophets. He could preach about um, how great Moses was. He could preach about the sovereignty of God. He could preach about wonderful things. But you know what he chose to preach about? The significance of the resurrection. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to go with Paul. This is the Apostle Paul, and when he walked in this city, he had one sermon. he had one shot, and he went right to the resurrection. It's significant. Paul did it. That's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to talk about the significance of the resurrection. We're going to look at his sermon in Acts 13, 20, 60, 41. And we're going to discover three truths concerning the significance of the resurrection. So that we might embrace the resurrected Christ for all that he is. The first truth we want to look at is the significance of the resurrection is seen in God's promise. The significance of the resurrection is seen in God's promise. In other words, the resurrection and all the events surrounding the resurrection are significant why? Because God promised it would happen. That right there is, that, that's a sermon within itself. And by the time we get done, you may hope, wish we had only had one sermon within itself, right? But it's because God promised it. That's significant. Since God cannot lie, the Bible teaches, that the God cannot lie and still be God, we would expect that God would keep this promise. Because he's God and he can't lie. And the first promise Paul brings up which is significant, is God's promise of the cross. God's promise of the cross. Look there in verse 27 with me of this passage. We'll go ahead and read uh, 26 and 27. Brethren, sons of Abraham, Abraham's family, and those among you who fear God, to us the message of this salvation has been sent. For those who live in Jerusalem and the rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. Notice that phrase "fulfilled these" by condemning him. What does the word "these" refer to? You have to follow me in your word, okay? In the word, we want to make sure we're looking at God's word. Let, follow me here. What does "these" refer to? Well, it, f- it refers to the phrase, the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath. So he's speaking here in the synagogue, where there would be Jews, and they were used to hearing things read every Sabbath. And he's saying that this, this, these, fulfilled these, what? The things the prophets read every Saturday. Uh, the, the things that the priests were read by, by the prophets every Saturday or Sabbath. Paul was pointing out the fact that the condemnation of Jesus by the Jewish leaders was promised by God in the writing prophets. It was promised by God that it would happen just this way. And one of these places we see this promise is in Isaiah 53, which would have been read often, often in the synagogue. what it says. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. This is one of the things they would have heard every Sunday just about in the Sabbath. A promise from the prophets that, Christ would be condemned. The Messiah would be condemned to death. Now notice back there in Acts 13, in verses 28 and 29. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. When they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. Now notice that phrase there in, in, in verse 29. When they, had carried him out, when they had carried out all that was written concerning him, Let me tell you this. Every single promise in the Old Testament about the Messiah was fulfilled. Every single promise. Now, there's at least 48 specific promises that you can't miss in the Old Testament concerning the Christ, the Messiah, the Jesus who came. Isaiah 53 gives us a good taste of what was promised throughout the Old Testament. And when we look at these verses... I want you to marvel at the detail and think forward to what happened on the cross in 30 A.D. What it says in chapter 53 verse 5 But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him and by his scourging we are healed. That's pretty detailed. That's not Nostradamus saying some bad things are going to happen in a couple hundred years. Some of you don't know who Nostradamus was. He was a guy who thought he was a prophet, and he wasn't. He just made all these prophecies that were very vague that any of us could be a prophet, and they could write a book about us, and we could write a book. But this is pretty detailed. Look what it says in verse 7, same chapter. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent for shears, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus didn't defend himself in reality. He didn't. He didn't bring a bunch of lawyers in and say, hey, defend me. They're obviously condemning me to death for no reason. We saw that when we went through the book of John, didn't we? All the trials they went through. Three civil, three religious, and they never found him guilty. And they condemned him. And he didn't defend himself. Unbelievable. Now notice the last phrase in verse 29 back there in, 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 in Acts 13. They took him down from the cross and they laid him in a, what's it say? What they lay him in? A tomb. Yes, they took him down from the cross, and they laid him in a tomb, but it wasn't just any old tomb. Well, let's just go find any old tomb. It was just a random tomb. It really doesn't matter where we're going to take him. Let's just go put him in a tomb. Now, they may have been thinking that, but there's a lot more to it. Notice what it says in Isaiah 53.9. It says, His grave was a sign with the wicked. Listen to this. Yet he was with a rich man in his death. With a rich man. Was this specific promise of God fulfilled concerning Jesus? You bet it was. Specifically with a rich man. With all these other things. Just in Isaiah 53. Remember, we're talking about that he fulfilled all these things. This is what Paul is saying. All these things that he read. Every Sabbath. He fulfilled all of those things. Look what it says in Matthew 25, 27, 57 through 60. When it was evening, there was a rich man. Hmm. From Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock, and he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. You see, when God makes a specific promise, he fulfills it specifically. He would be with a rich man in his death, and a rich man, Joseph of Arimathea. Took him and put him in his tomb. Significant, because without the death and burial associated with the cross, God's next promise would be meaningless. He promised the cross, didn't he? he promised everything surrounding the cross. The second promise Paul mentions, which is significant, is God's promise of the resurrection. Look at verses thirty through thirty-one of our passage. That God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. This obviously speaks of the historical fact of the resurrection. And he appeared over to over 500 people at one time. Was the fact of the resurrection also promised by God? What we, it's clear the cross was, and it's just going to one chapter in the Old Testament, not all the places that it's prophesied in the Old Testament. We go to Genesis 3.15, couldn't we? that's the first pro- promise of the crucifixion and we get all the way through the old testament you see the promise of the crucifixion but was the resurrection promised too we, we stretching it a little bit to say the resurrection was promised hundreds of years before jesus came well i don't think we're stretching it at all because the scripture doesn't say we're stretching once again if god makes a promise he by nature must keep his promise Let's now examine what Paul has to say about God's promise of the resurrection in verses 32 to 37, specifically in verses 32 and 33. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. Listen to this. Help me, you all. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, You are my son, today have begotten you. Notice the words the word promise this promise he's emphasizing that not only was the cross promised but there was a promise of the resurrection as well it's evident throughout the old testament and paul further emphasizes the resurrection by quoting three old testament passages that speak of god's promise of the resurrection and why it was significant he just points to three passages here just in case you guys are wondering If you think the resurrection was also promised, he's saying to the people there in Pisidian Antioch at the synagogue, let let me just give you a few places in the scripture that points at things that you would be familiar with. So look what he says. Notice that um, in in verse 33, that God has fulfilled this promise to our children and that he raised up Jesus. As is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Notice the phrase that he raised up Jesus. Jesus. To our children, that he raised, he prom- the fulfillment that he promised to our children, he- that he raised up Jesus. To what is this phrase referring? Now before you give me the answer, just hold on. Context, 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 right? Is it referring specifically to the resurrection of the dead? Or of something else that goes hand in hand with the resurrection? Now you're probably going to choose one because of the way I'm saying this, right? Is it pointing specifically to the resurrection of the dead? Or something that goes hand in hand with the resurrection from the dead? Well, I believe it's speaking not directly of the resurrection from the dead, but of something that goes hand-in-hand with that. What then does this phrase mean that he raised up Jesus speaking of? It's not speaking of the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, the key to understanding this is the quote that Paul uses in verse 33. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. This quote is taken from Psalm 2, verse 7. Psalm 2, verse 7. And this psalm describes the anointing, listen, or the raising up of God's king who will ultimately reign during the end times. Today you are my son, today I've begotten you, and I've begotten you is speaking of this raising up, this this, this anointing of the king that would come. And this raising up of Christ here in verse 33 is speaking of the Father presenting the second person of the Trinity, the Son, as one who is in place of authority, Which therefore shows that the Son is divine. This is important. It shows that the Son is God. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And what he's trying to do is here, he raised up Jesus, Psalm two. He's raised He raised him, He anointed him, He declared Him, says in Romans chapter one, verse 4, the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. Didn't make him the Son, he declared him because he rose, it proved that he was. And here this, in this psalm, too, he's speaking about he raised him up as the supreme ruler. If he's the supreme ruler, overall, he must be... It's a three-letter word that starts with a G. God. He must be God. He's speaking about the divinity of Christ. And if he's God, then he has the power to overcome death. That's what he's speaking of here. And does that go hand-in-hand with the, the physical resurrection of Jesus? You bet it does. He raised him up, showing that he is God the Son, so that he, we could see that he had the power to overcome physical death. Hopefully you see that. And that's what Paul's point to these people is, that he has the power, that he is God. It sets the stage for the next Old Testament passage in verse 34. Look there with me. As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead no longer to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. This quote is taken from Isaiah 55, 3. And this passage is promised that the Messiah would not die, but instead would, would have a permanent rule. He would rule eternally. And this can only happen if he lives forever. And since he would not die, he would inherit what, look what it says, the holy and sure blessings promised to David, which are summed up in inheriting the kingdom. That was what was promised to David. And the Messiah, the ultimate fulfillment of the promises of David, inherited those. This promise by God was a promise by God and and it had to be fulfilled it could only be fulfilled for one way if jesus rose from the dead because if he stays in the tomb if he's still in the tomb he's not god the blessings don't come to him because the messiah was promised would never die he would reign forever and ever and ever and ever jesus rose again there's a third old testament quote that paul speaks of that references god's promise of the resurrection look at verses 35 through 37 Specifically first with verse 35. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. And this is from Psalm 1610. And this prophecy is a prophecy of David, prophesying that the Messiah's body would not decay in the ground, but he would rise again. It would not undergo decay. Now, verses 36 and 37 are added for those listening to Paul's sermon why because they may be thinking that psalm 16 was speaking about david and not the messiah and if you were a good jewish person you would read down through there and he'd be saying that well hey did he hold hold on here the holy one not done to decay that that's a specific promise about david well they and and is it well yes and no so paul adds verses 36 and 37 not he adds the verses but he says more to explain to them no It's Not David. It says, for David, verse 36, after he had served the purposes of God in his own generation, fell asleep. Now, when you see fell asleep in Scripture, most of the time it's not talking about when we laid our head down last night and got up this morning. It's talking about death. He died. And he was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. He could have said, hey, just go find David's grave. Let's dig it up and see if he's there. But there's some bones and stuff there, right? He underwent decay. Verse 37, but he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Paul is saying here that David's body underwent decay, but the Messiah, Jesus, who Psalm 16 was ultimately pointing to, did not undergo decay. Why? Because he rose again. See what Paul is doing? He's just building one argument after another on their scriptures to show that the Old Testament points to the fact that he would keep his promise of the resurrection of the Messiah. The one they've been waiting for. But why is this important? It's important because those listening in Paul's message believe that God was faithful to keep his promises. And I hope you do too. That God is faithful. In fact, we ought to believe if he doesn't keep his promises, he's not God. And we quit worshiping right now. We walk out the door. But good news, he keeps all of his promises. And he wanted the people that's here to see that God keeps his promise because they were expecting God to keep his promise. If Jesus would not have risen from the dead, then he would have shown himself to be a liar and if he's a liar, he's not God. Therefore, the significance of the resurrection is seen in God's promise and that God the Son, Jesus, fulfilled the promise made by the Father. And if God kept his promise in these things, what difference does that make to us? So what? Big deal. You getting all excited about this, Brian? It's resurrection stuff, and, and that's important. It's significant. You showed the whole flashlight deal. That's real important, isn't it? It is. Look how important it is in First Peter. 1 through 3, or one, 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So, what it says? It says what? Through the what? Resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What? Born again. Given new life. Saved, justified, sanctified, glorified. All those things we talk about in churches... Without the resurrection from the dead, we're not born again. We're in trouble is what we are. That's how significant this is. This was, this was Paul's preaching here in city of Antioch. This is his message. I got one shot. It's like a guy who's being called to a church. like a pe- preacher. Right? And he's going to give his best sermon, isn't he, Charlie? He ain't going to go He's going to prepare nothing new. He's going to give some message that he's done before, and he got good reactions from it. The best one he's got, he's going to shoot. He's got one shot. And Paul's got one shot with these people, possibly. What's he going to give them? He's going to give them the resurrection and show to them from their own scriptures that the resurrection was promised, it was fulfilled. Why is it so important? Because without it, we cannot be born again. We cannot be made right with God. Praise God, he is risen. Well, let's look at the second truth concerning the significance of the resurrection. The significance of the resurrection is seen in God's purpose. Not only his promise, but in God's purpose. Look at verse 38. There's a word there in verse 38. It begins with what word? Therefore... Therefore, all right. And if your pat your I don't know if your translation says that or not. It probably has something very similar or for, um But therefore, we always got to ask the question when we see the word therefore. What? What's it there for? Right. Well, this of course is pointing back to the fact of the resurrection, because of the resurrection. Therefore, since the resurrection is true, let me tell you, Paul says what what its purpose was and is. God had a purpose in the resurrection. It wasn't random. What was God's purpose in the resurrection? The first thing we want to see about God's purpose in the resurrection is God's purpose for the nations. God's purpose for the nations. Look at verse 38 in Acts 13 again. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren. Look at the word brethren there. This reminds us of those to whom Paul is speaking. To whom does this word brethren speak? Who is he speaking of? Well, if you look back in verse 26, look at verse 26 with me. Brethren, sons of Abraham's family, see that? He's, referring, he's, calling, he's defining, brethren, sons of Abraham's family. He's saying that these are Jewish people, at least. One, some of the people he's speaking to are Jewish people. Then we also see that Paul is speaking to another group of people as well. Look at the, also back there in verse 26. And those whom, uh, among you who fear God. Who's that speaking of? Who are these people? These are Gentiles who have basically converted to Judaism. They're god, what's called god fears in the book of Acts. They, 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 they fear God. And they fear the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They fear the God of the universe. They, they, they want to know him. So they're God-fearing. So not only do we have Jewish people, but we also have Gentiles. So the first thing we see that's significant about God's purpose in the resurrection is that it's God's purposes for the nations. Not just the Jews. But for the Gentiles, which covers everybody else in the whole world. Jews and Gentiles. This is his purpose. Without the resurrection... We would all be left out of the things of God. We'd be out in the cold. You go read the book of Ephesians, and Paul talks about how the two became one body, Jews and Gentiles, the whole world, people from all over the world. Well, the second thing we want to see about God's purpose in the resurrection, not only do we want to see about it it's for the nations, but God's purpose of forgiveness. Look at verse 38. Therefore, let it be known, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Notice the phrase, through him, through him, through him, the forgi- forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. The resurrected Christ, his purpose, God's purpose in the re- resurrection was to provide forgiveness through his son. Now, why, didn't he, why did forgiveness need be provided anyway? I mean, they're not that, they couldn't be that bad, right? You may be like, well, they're worse than me. Well, this guy's worse than me and this guy's not. And they're probably hearing Paul speak about this forgiveness. and Maybe forgiveness for that guy, not me. No, through him, forgiveness would be provided. And it needed to be provided because of the sin of mankind. And this is a verse we see a lot. It's Romans 3.23. What's the next word? For all. For all. And the word all there in every language means all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because of this sin, which comes from man's sinful nature, it's expressed in acts and thoughts, all are condemned. We see this in Romans 6.23. For what? The wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. Eternal separation from God forever in a place called hell. We're sinful. He's holy. We deserve His justice, and He's a just God. So He must punish sin. He can't just let let the criminal go off. If a judge lets somebody go, and I've I've shared this before, I think it's a great illustration. If someone comes in before a judge, and they've got him on video of stealing a bunch of Lamborghinis, he's got him on video, and the judge says, you know, I'm just going to let you go. No problem. Go right after it. Let's go back. I'm just going to let you go. Everybody would cry, whoa, get rid of the judge. When's the election? Get rid of that judge, because he's not a just judge. God's not like that. God always judges sin now that's not good news is it because we just all admitted we're all sinners we've all sinned and the wages of sin is death and, and, and in order for man to be made right with God we must be forgiven if there's a, if there was a dilemma God's got a dilemma doesn't he he's a just God and he must punish sin so how's God going to handle this what's God going to do he's in trouble right ah oh, but he's God he's not in trouble we'd have a dilemma he doesn't In order for man to be right with God, we must be forgiven. We must have God's wrath turned away from us. There's a word, I didn't pick one of these scriptures today, but there's a word called propitiation in the scripture. And it means to turn away God's wrath. God's wrath is on us. His just condemnation of our sin is on us. That's not a good place to be. And to propitiate means he's going to turn that away. So what does God do? What does Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection have to do with any of this paying for our debt and this turning away of wrath of God? Well, look what it says in Colossians 2, verse 13 and 14. When, we were, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. The cross. You must be saying, well, this is talking about the cross. Well, here's the great thing. The cross and the resurrection go together. Hand in hand. Hand in hand. He's done what with our sin. He's taken it out of the way. He has propitiated us. He has turned his wrath from us. And who did he turn it on? His son. He turned it on his son because of his great love by which he loved us. He turned it on his very own son. Some people who don't believe the Bible call that divine child abuse. It's not. It was God's way. And there's no other way but that way. Because of his great love for us, he took, he dem- his, his just demand, forgiveness, his de- just demand payment for sin, and Jesus paid our sin. Great news. Paul shows the futility of the cross without the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you are you're still in your sins. No resurrection. No forgiveness of sin. It's easy to see the significance of the resurrection in the fact that God's purpose was to provide forgiveness and also it was for the nations of the world. And this fact is seen in Revelation 5 9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And we've got at least in this room today, at least. Five different continents represented, right here in our room, and all of the backgrounds, all of our gene pool from man. We could just countries all over the place, right here in this room. Amazing for all tribes, tongue, and people. Well, forgiveness is our greatest need, and it only comes and only comes through the resurrection, of Jesus Christ. And I love this quote. I'm not even sure who it's by. I didn't put it up there because it's so long. But just listen. If our greatest need had been information. God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a Savior. Isn't that good news? That's great news. And you can all amen today, can't you, Pete? Man, if you can't amen to this, I'm just kidding, you don't have to say amen. We're not forcing anybody to say amen. You may hear me say that. There's something to amen about, even inside of you. Amen. Well, do you you want to know the forgiveness that God has given by the way of the resurrection? If you want to know it, then you've got to embrace His Son as your Savior and Lord. You've got to trust in Him alone. Well, so far we've looked at this passage and we've discovered the significance of the resurrection is seen in God's promise and seen in God's purpose. There's one more thing I want us to see about the significance of the resurrection here in Acts 13. The significance of the resurrection is seen in God's proclamation. The first proclamation God makes through Paul is the proclamation of life. Look at verse 39. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Now, what type of proclamation is presented here? Notice the word is freed from... From all things. He's proclaiming that through the resurrection we're freed from all things. It freed us from all things. Well, the word free, or you may even, your translation may even say justified, it means to set free from something or declare not guilty. To be free or justified. What are they free from? It says from all things. Another translation says everything. What does this all things consist of? We'll look up further down in, in the same verse from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. That's the all things. The all things that you could not be freed from the law of Moses. So what things in the law of Moses could you not be freed from? That's the question you've got to a- answer. We've got to ask ourselves, what are the things in the law of Moses that we couldn't, th- those things we, we couldn't be freed from? Well, Paul speaks of the inability of the law and the things you could not be freed freed from in romans 8 look what it says in romans 8 for what the law could not do what's that word next word for what the law could not do what weak as it was through the flesh god did sending his own son the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin he condemned sin in the flesh the law was weak because it could not justify us from anything here's the answer what are the all things all things the law could not free us from anything So if you want to hook yourself up to the 613 laws of the Old Testament, hook yourself right away, because you'll be bound. You'll never be freed. Just take the Ten Commandments. We've all broken those. Every one of them. Oh, I haven't. Okay, you don't want Jesus to get on here in Matthew 5, because he explains it's about the heart. In our heart, we've all committed murder. We've all committed adultery. (gasps) Well, that's what Jesus said. We all have We all broken just 10 of them. There's 613. And the law could not justify could not pay the penalty of sin. So God did it through Christ. The law could only do one thing. We see that in Romans 3.20. Another re- reference you want to write down in Romans 5.20. Galatians 3.24. So Romans, this is the way I remember it. Romans 3.20. Romans 5.20. There's odd same verse, and then you have to memorize uh, another number, right? Galatians 3.24 says the same thing. What does it say? Because by the works of the fall, no flesh will be justified, no flesh will be freed in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Here's what the law can only do. Sin. You committed a sin? That's a sin too, Brian. You thought that way? That's a sin. You did this? That's a sin. All it does is tell us we sinned. It doesn't free us. It doesn't justify That's the why the law is good the bible says later on in the romans it's a good thing because it shows us our sin and then it says and then it shows that, oh my goodness i'm in trouble for god i need a savior and guess who god sent and rose from the dead jesus the law was weak it couldn't free him and he's trying to tell these people you're following this thing that is only going to enslave you and keep telling you you're a sinner but god sent a savior the resurrection is significant in that it brought proclamation of life in the sense that it could free people from the penalty of sin and grant them life, not death, but life in Christ. Now, to whom is this proclamation of life extended? It says in verse 39, to everyone who believes. The proclamation of life here is extended to those who believe. What does it mean to believe? That's important today. We throw the word believe around like nothing. I believe Abraham Lincoln was president of the united states and he was shot in ford's theater that's great Did you believe that it's kind of a historical fact and that's important and the word believe in different contexts can mean a couple things it can mean an assent to facts here's the facts i believe those facts and it can also mean a trust in or trust upon a fact and in the bible when it speaks about being justified or being saved being made right with god it means both there are some facts that we have to understand that we are a sinner in need of a savior. God sent a son to die in our place that we could be forgiven. Those are facts. But there's also the other fact that there's this trust. And, and inherent in trust, this aspect of this type of faith that we trust on him. We're trusting him for what he has done for us. No longer trusting ourselves is this word repentance. And, and the word repentance means to Turn. To, to, to not trust in ourselves because we're condemned. We can't make ourselves right with God. To turn and trust in Jesus. The word, the, the word faith, the word believe in the New Testament always includes both of those when speaking about salvation. Not just, oh yeah, I believe that he died on the cross, he walked, he walked up a road called Villa de La Rosa, died for our sins, put in a grave, rose three days later, 50 days later he ascended to heaven, he sits at the right hand throne of God. Those are all facts and you, those are true but it means more than just believing those facts it means entrusting your entire life to what he did for you that's faith and all those who believe it says will be saved all those will be made right with God that believe this proclamation of life is what these people needed to hear and it's what we need to hear this morning have you trusted in Christ alone to grant you the freedom from the penalty of sin have you done that I was with a guy on an airplane he was the window seat I was in the middle seat he was a captive audience coming back from louisville last week jacob pray for jacob and i had this fellowship christian athletes uh, pull over on it. it said fellowship athletes golf which is kind of laughable that had a golf thing on i don't play golf but it said fca and, and i was talking to my buddy on the phone who just called me i'd sit down on the seat and he was telling me he had just gotten the, the job as this is cool as the fellowship christian Athletes sports chaplain for the Naval academy He's going to be taking that job in the fall. I was excited. We were talking about, talking about FCA. He sees my FCA here. Yeah, i was Christian athletes. I was, oh, see you. He goes, we had an FCA at our school. I saw you did. <laughs> That's who I used to work for. And I'm a Christian fellowship with Christian athletes, right? So I got a chance to share the gospel with Jacob. He told me all he just poured out. I said, man, I was just thinking about this stuff. What happens if the plane would go down? I asked that question. I said, what happens if the plane would go down? Do you know you'd go be with God forever? He goes, man, I was just thinking that. And I said, and God set me in the seat right next to you. How about that he goes, yeah, man. I just, just great. I got his number, and I'm gonna call him up this week and follow up. And he's gonna be getting married soon. And he's man, I made some awful choices. I said, good news, good news. You made awful choices, and that condemns you to hell. But here's the good news: that God sent Jesus to die in your place. And if you quit trusting in you, Jake, you'll never be good enough. We all agree with that, right? Yeah, I'll never be good enough. If you just turn and trust in what Jesus did for you, embrace Him as your Savior and Lord. God says He'll save you from your sin. Jacob's eyes says, I've never, seen, ne- never, never heard that before. And he grew up going to church. That doesn't mean the church didn't preach it. All of a sudden, God was letting him see something. I was praying, that he, praying for him that he would open his heart like L- Lydia in Acts 16. Have you done that? Jacob said he hadn't. He was honest. No, I haven't done that. Have you? Have you turned from trusting yourself and trusting the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sin, the one who rose again, that you might be forgiven? Have you done that? What better day to have new life on the, on the very Sunday that points that we do have life right now? My prayer is that you will turn and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you may be thinking you back in a revival or something. We probably need some more of those. All right, the second proclamation of Paul here, the proclamation of death. Look at verse 40. Therefore, take heed so that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. Paul is warning these people to trust in God's provision of Christ or face what pro- the prophets spoke of. What do they speak of? Well, look at verse 41. I love this. I love this. Listen to this. Behold, so if you don't trust in Christ, you're going to get what the prophet spoke of. Behold, you scoffers, this is from back 1-5, and marvel and perish, for I, I am accompanying a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. Now, how many of you have ever heard that? God's going to do a work in this day that you could never understand. Of, and it's going to be so great. How many people have heard it? We've heard it positive, Right? I mean, I've heard it positive, right? God's going to do a work. Well, this isn't positive. It's talking about condemnation. God's going to bring in a more evil country to bring discipline on the nation of Israel who walked away from God. It's not positive. You don't want this verse. Don't claim this verse on your life. If this is your your, your life verse, get rid of it and get another one. Because you're, you're calling condemnation on yourself. That's what this verse is all about. This is one of the top ten most out-of-context verses. I'm doing a series one day on the top ten most out-of-context verses. Philippians 4.13 goes right there with it. Oh, I can do all things through Christ's strength. I don't want to keep going on those, all right? But this is condemnation. He's saying, hey, if you don't turn and trust in Jesus, you're going to get exactly what the prophet said you'd get. You're going to get the condemnation of God because you've sinned. Don't go there. There's a proclamation of life and there's a proclamation of di- death. Christ will either be your judge or he will be your savior. Which will it be? Judge or savior? This is a proclamation of the resurrection. It's life or death. Eternal life, eternal death. Well, we've seen clearly the significance of the resurrection in the past. I hope you have. We've seen the, the significance of regards to God's promise, his purpose, and his proclamation. If you're here today and you've never appropriated the significance of the resurrection to your life, I plead for you, I implore you on Christ's behalf to do what I just asked you to do. Turn, quit trusting yourself. Turn, turn from the deceitfulness of sin. It promises everything and delivers nothing. That's what sin does. I got everything you need. This is what you need. And guess what? You walk down that road, it lies. Turn from the deceitfulness of sin, turn from your sin and trust fully in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray as you do that right here today. And if you're here today and you've already realized the significance of resurrection by trusting in Christ alone, then I want to challenge you to marvel at the grace that God has given you in him. It's all of grace. The only thing we bring to the table in our salvation is our sin. That's what we bring to the table. God, I got my sin. That's all I have to offer in this what grace what grace that he would give us eternal life through his son marvel at the fact that all who deserve death you got life then give him daily praise for rescuing you from his wrath and from your sin through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and I also want to exhort you to do something else I want to exhort you to share this truth with others let me ask you a question if you had the cure for cancer what would you do with it well you know I'm just going to keep it to myself kind of wanting just to keep that one to myself would anybody do that I mean, you, if you didn't have a Twitter account, you'd be tweeting it. You'd get a Facebook account. I don't have one of those. I'd be getting one of those too. We'd be getting everything. We'd get it out. We'd take it to everyone. We'd send it to Washington. We'd send it all over. We got the cure for cancer. You know, we got the cure for something greater than cancer. We have the cure for forgiveness of sins. Found the Lord Jesus Christ who rose again. What are we going to do with it? We're going to keep it to ourselves? Oh, no way. Don't keep it to yourself. Let everybody know. And I've, I, there's a, if you didn't get one of these, if you're fam- just, you can take one for a family, maybe get this handed out to you. There's some out there in, in the front. I think there's some in the back. It's ten, qu- it's ten questions to ask at an Easter gathering. And if you say Resurrection Sunday, some people are going, oh, what's that? Easter, they know what that is. So you just ten practical questions to talk to with people about, about what God did on this day 2,000 years ago. Take that. and Maybe it's not today. Maybe it's this week. Hey, what did you all do on Easter Sunday? But what, what, what did you do in the past? There's these great questions to bring up and you can talk about the resurrection. I mean, I've even given you what to say. Look at that. We can take that and start conversations like I did with Jacob. You can do that right in your neighborhood, maybe in your own family. We challenge you to do that this week because you have the power of the resurrected Christ living in you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you are risen indeed. Lord, I pray now as we stand and we sing together, that we sing... Not as if you did, but knowing that you rose from the grave and through that we have life. May we sing as people who have been given life. In Jesus' name.